Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, I'm happy to welcome on a manager and producer who got to start interning at Village Roadshow, which led to his first job working at Leonardo DiCaprio's company, Appian Way. He eventually turned his energies to producing and more recently management at Bellevue Productions, where he currently oversees a slate of over 25 film and television projects in various states of development and production. Welcome to the show, John Zauzerny. Thank you for coming on, John. Awesome. Thank you for having me. First off, we'd like to find out how you got your start. I know you're originally from Canada and went to NYU's mm-hmm. Tisch School. Uh, can you tell us how you came to be in Hollywood and what your inspiration was to make the move? Um, you know, I think, you know, the simple answer has always been a fan of a, a movie guy and a movie fan. And, you know, I, I ended up going to film school because that seemed like an obvious and natural fit and that you would kind of do that. And so I, you know, I think as with most people, I wanted to be a director, which is kind of, you know, the most glamorous, high profile job right. behind the camera. Um, and so I went to film school and I made some film school, some sh- shorts at film school and quickly realized that was not what I wanted to do um, because that was not something I got, I, I kind of dreaded. Right. So I moved into one beer, wanting to be a writer. And, um, you know, it was interesting being Canadian because you really have to, if you're, or any, or before in any kind of sense, because you really have to get someone to kind of sponsor you for a visa. Oh. Yeah. And so as a result of that, you what's called um, the OPT or optional, optional practical training, which is um, essentially, uh, the first year after you graduate, you have to go in uh, a year in which you get a job in your field. At the end of that year, you have to have a visa. And so I knew that was going to be, it's hard to get a job in Hollywood, you know, to your point blank, um, let alone having to, you know, at the end of the year, six months in, say, hey, guess what? Can you sponsor me for a visa? And so, you know, I'd done some interning uh, before I even graduated out in Los Angeles, which I was, you know, very fortunate to be able to get some good internships. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically one at Village Roadshow. Um, and then when I came back out in the spring of 2002, I ended up uh, interning there again while I looked for a job because it was just a good place to be. You could intern there and you kind of had somewhere to go instead of sitting around your apartment waiting for people to call you. Right. Um, and also they had this thing called a fax machine, which is what people used to send resumes in before the internet. Right. Um, so the internet was around, but it was like, it wasn't like quite as prevalent, uh, especially PDF, as it is today. Right. So you needed to have a fax machine. Um, so I would intern there, and I worked as, essentially as an assistant or a temp assistant to an executive there called Jordana Freyberg, who is still a good friend and collaborator to this day. Um, and she kind of looked out for me and, and helped me set me up with a whole bunch of informational interviews, which uh, those informational interviews, essentially where you go in, it's not an interview, you're going to meet people. Um, and so they kind of introduced you to their friends and the friends are like, Oh, can I help you in any way? And I met, eventually Jordana met a guy called Jeremy, or knew a guy called Jeremy Kleiner at the time of the Donner's company. Um, and I met with Jeremy and he's a really smart, really nice guy. He's gone on to work with Brad Pitt over plan B and won an Academy award for 12 years of slave. Um, so obviously a pretty sharp guy mm-hmm. and he was nice enough to pass along my resume to an executive called Jane Garnett who had just been hired at Appian Way, DiCaprio's company. And Jane was English, which was helpful because I'd kind of gotten close on a lot of jobs. But then once they found out I was Canadian, that freaked them out. They didn't want to deal with any visa stuff, which I understand. Um, and Jane was British, so they'd already done it for her. 
So they're kind of like, oh, we, we, we're not scared by it because we've already done it for Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first job there. And I was there for three years working for Jane. And then after Jane left, I worked for um, an executive called Brad Simpson, uh, who is an hour at Color Force with Nina Jacobson. Hmm. Um, so it's very, it's a very cool, very interesting, very smart place to work. Right. And how did you go from assistant, you know, working at Appian Way to producer? Mm. And, you know, when did you form Bellevue Productions and how did that all come about? Yeah, you know, it's a very kind of a roundabout way because um, I l- end up leaving Appian, you know, it's working in development is really great uh, in terms of learning the business, but it's, I actually tell a lot of people who want to be writers, I tell them not to get development jobs or at least to do, only do it for six months to a year because you can end up on this track where you're trying to climb the ladder, quote unquote, into the development world, which is a lot of reading, a lot of drinks, a lot of, you know, well, not really lunches during your assistant, but it's, it's, a, it's a full-time job. You get there at the minimum, you're there from nine to seven, if not more realistically, if you're an agency assistant or a studio assistant, you're there from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. or some crazy hours like that. And so, you know, good luck going home and, and writing every night mm-hmm. um, or even on the weekends if you're doing that. And so I ended up um, leaving Appian and getting a job working for a fantastic screenwriter, a guy called Andrew Marlowe, um, as well as with his wife, uh, also really talented screenwriter called uh, Taryn Miller. Oh, yeah. I worked with them. For uh, I worked for them for a couple of years, and then they created a TV show called Tassel, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously still in the air, heading into its eighth season. And um, so I worked on that show with them. Uh, I was a writer's assistant for the first three seasons on that show, and that led to uh, and that and so while I was working on that TV show, a bunch of my uh, uh, sorry, one of my friends um, came to me and, and said, "Hey, I know you're a writer, but I know you also have a whole bunch of ideas." that you are, uh, you're not necessarily writing. What if we produced those ideas and had other people write them? And I always joke that, you know, I probably should have known that I wasn't really a writer because I was like, that sounds great to have other people writing my ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of writers would be like, no, I'm the only person who can write this idea. Um, I was ecstatic at the idea of having my name on a bunch of scripts that I didn't have to sit down and write because I just didn't have the diligence, I think, mm-hmm. to write every single day the way that I think most writers need to. Um, and so I did that for about four years part-time while I worked for Andrew and Terry and also on Castle. And then after about four years, I decided I wanted to go do it full-time and start my own company. And so I did that, and shortly after that, I set up a movie over at Warner Brothers called Christo, which is a science fiction take on the kind of much of Christo written by a guy called Ian Shore. Um, that ended up on the blacklist, set up a project over at New England called Warden, and kind of so on and so forth, set up a whole bunch of projects at Warner Brothers, and New Line, and eventually some projects at Fox, and Amazon Studios, and Voltage, and places like that. Um, And so I kind of moved pretty strongly into producing and did that for, for, you know, I've been doing that for over four years now. Um, And then about six months ago, a friend of mine, well, a a collaborator I previously mentioned, a guy called Ian Shore, who wrote uh, Christo, which I previously mentioned, another project called Castle, which we set up over at Fox and was also on the blacklist. And also wrote this small, uh, kind of really cool fan footage movie uh, that just got released on VOD called Always Watching. Uh, a guy called Ian Shore, uh, he kind of was talking to me. He said, you know, you have a really good skill set for managing people. Maybe you should think about doing that. And so he, he kind of encouraged me to think about that and ended up, you know, starting to work with uh, a couple clients, who, uh, a couple people who didn't have managers, who I was already working with as a producer, ended up signing them. And then down the road, um, 
you know, end up signing, you know, after after Ian kind of end up leaving his management, end up signing Ian as well as some other really talented writers. So I have a pretty small client list right now, only seven clients. Wow. Although I'm talking to some other really talented writers mm-hmm. um, and directors. Uh, but right now I try to keep it relatively, uh, relatively small, relatively contained, just because, um, you know, I want to be able to give everybody my focus. And I still do have projects that I'm producing that are not with clients of mine. I, I work a lot with a guy called Will Bell, mm-hmm. who wrote a movie called Gangster Squad, and had a great script called L.A. Rex that was on the blacklist a number of years ago. He's a close friend of mine that I, I started working with on Castle back in the day um, when he was a writer, and we're very close friends, and we have a project, uh, a couple projects together, including kind of this reboot of, uh, or not reboot, I should say, another version of Robin Hood uh, over at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So I work with him, I work with a, really talented, a bunch of other really talented writers, um, who uh, are managed by very capable, very smart managers. Um, so I still do that producing aspect in addition to the management aspect. Gotcha. Um, but I try to keep it to a, a reasonable number, mm-hmm. essentially. Right, gotcha. Now, what is Bellevue's model and mandate? What sort of projects are you guys working on currently, and what are you looking for? You know, um, my sweet spot as a manager and as a producer is is, is kind of, uh, I would say, sci-fi, action, thriller. Mm-hmm. I would say supernatural horror um, in the vein of The Ring, um, Rosemary's Baby, kind of stuff like that. You know, commercial films, um, genre films, that's just something I feel most comfortable working on and that I can really bring uh, a level of, 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 of kind of experience and, and, uh, and skill, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, the client that I most recently signed, um, or one of the clients I most recently signed, I uh, wrote a script that was about uh, kind of a, I would say, uh, kind of a smart character-driven thriller, um, kind of in the vein of Michael Clayton, that's set in the fracking boom currently going on in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's not necessarily a movie that I would ever normally be like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. But I read it, and the writing was phenomenal, and the response has been really great in town. We just signed him over Paradigm. And people have really been loving the writing. And so that's not someone I would normally say, okay, that's what I do. But I would say it's, it's great writing. He's a really smart, uh, character-driven guy, you know. And then, then the other guy that I most recently signed, he, you know, has written really smart, kind of straight-ahead thrillers. And we're working on a kind of a sci-fi thriller right now. So, you know, one of those guys is kind of more in what, what would be my normal vein. And the other one is kind of less. But they're both really talented writers. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean... You know, I have sci-fi projects set up at studios. Uh, I worked, I produced a horror film, and yet I've also got uh, a movie about, you know, high school football on a military base. It's another project that I'm producing. So really, it's, it's about good stories. I would say I'm not the world's biggest comedy guy mm-hmm. um, in terms of, I love comedies, but I, in terms of my, that being my kind of area of expertise. That said, you know, anything, if anything's good, you want to be on the lookout for it. And I, and I hate to, to simply say, no, I don't do that, and, and close the door to anything really, really smart and really great. Right, right. We hear that a lot. You had mentioned that you have seven clients currently, and obviously you spend a lot mm-hmm. of time focused on them as well as side projects that you're producing. You have two, obviously, separate sort of career paths. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to know how they can get their material to you in front of you. Do you... Uh, take queries? Do you follow specific screenwriting competitions, uh, the blacklist? You know, um, I would say the blacklist is a phenomenal website. I actually worked at Appian with Franklin Leonard and he was one of the smartest, sharpest guys 
And so I think that site is very well designed. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a great site. It's easy to navigate, and I think it's well worth putting a script out there. I know people have gotten great clients out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a site that I definitely check in on and pay attention to. Um, you know, I do have a website for my production company, mm-hmm. Bellevue Productions, um, and we have a kind of a, a web, an email in their info at Bellevue Prod. And so that is, you know, that is something definitely where someone's got a query letter, um, you know, that's perfectly happy, you know, if you come through to check it out. You know, what I would say is, you know, keeping it relatively succinct in those query letters is, is a smart move because people either know if they're going to respond to it or not. You really don't have to describe an incredible amount of the plot. The truth is you pretty much know from two or three sentences uh, whether or not it sounds like the kind of material that you'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something where, you know, uh, I do on occasion respond to those just when it, when it seems like the right fit for what I'm doing and also the, the right, it seems like a very interesting it seems like something I'd be interested to read is the simple answer. So if I'm interested to read it, hopefully other people will be as well. Um, so then you kind of, you look for the topic first and then beyond that you look for, obviously, is it, is it, is it a well executed uh, idea? So those are kind of the ways that, um, and I, you know, I, I went to UC first pitch recently. Um, you know, I do on occasion attend pitch fest, although I don't, you know, it's not, I don't make an incredible habit out of that because the truth is, you can hear a great pitch, but if the, the writing isn't great, it kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's much easier to either get a query letter or check the blacklist where you can see a great log line. And you can click immediately and check out the screenplay and know within you know a few minutes whether or not the writing is on the same level as the idea is. Right. Um, so those are kind of the best ways that I – and honestly, the way that I find writers mostly is, is, is references, which I know isn't deeply helpful to the listeners. <laughs> but what I would say – is that if you have, you know, like recently, you know, Will Bell, uh, someone, this is crazy, someone reached out to my buddy Will Bell's father because they went to school with him and they had a son. So to make this clear, the son of a classmate of Will Bell's father got a, <laughs> reached out to Will, who then passed it along to me, and the guy had written a, a, a pretty interesting script, so we've been talking back and forth. So literally any way that you can get your reach out to someone who works in the industry because I don't know if there's a feeling out there that the number one thing that I would, I would kind of personally, I haven't deeply experienced this is this idea of people stealing ideas. I don't think anyone steals ideas because the truth is ideas as they're saying, which is ideas are cheap execution is everything. Mm -hmm. The truth is like, if your script is great, why would I steal the idea? You know? And, and if your script's bad, it's, uh, it's it's weird that your idea would be really good, or even if your idea is interesting, but your your script is really bad, it's much easier just to option it for a nominal fee, which is something I have done before, where you option screenplays, and then you kind of figure out another way to make it work. And so there's really, in my experience, there's no point to being sinister or criminal, because you're just so, you have to understand there's so much material out there. So what I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to anybody and say, hey, I know you work in the film industry, I know you're your husband, your wife, your sister, or whatever does, could you, if you're comfortable getting this to them, because people are really looking for great screenplays. People are excited to read them and exciting. It, it just makes everybody look good. And so that's what I would say is the best way to get in. You know, I think the blacklist is phenomenal. Um, I think, you know, queries are perfectly fine, but probably the best way is reaching out to people, either yourself working in the industry or, or that's why I think it is good to work in the industry for like six months or so to get to know those contacts get to know people um, because if a friend of mine asked me to read a screenplay, I'm going to do it a hundred percent, you know? 
or a friend of mine says, hey, a friend of a friend, you know, wrote this and I think it's pretty good. Would you check it out? Um, that's, that's, that's definitely going to, going to happen. Right. You know, you're looking for someone whose opinion you trust to say, Hey, this is good. Or, Hey, this is worth you checking out. And that's the strongest way I would kind of recommend it. I know that's not possible for everybody. And that's why they have things like the blacklist. Um, but if there's a way to do that, that's, that's in, feel, don't feel afraid to reach out to your old college friend whose sister works in the industry, you know? Right. Right. And that's a great point because when, aspiring writers think of the infamous referral <laughs> oftentimes it's like well i don't know steven spielberg how do i get a referral well like you said there are many ways and routes to get a referral and they don't have to be steven spielberg they could be somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that happens to have gone to school with somebody and that could lead to that referral i think getting into That's, an assistant is the best thing because yeah. you have to think about it like you know i remember when i first joined the business you'd meet with these people who you have a tangential connection to the head of line theaters and like that that person doesn't know what's going on down on the ground they're they're busy dealing with huge billion dollar decisions you know right. they're not going to make sure that you friend of a friend of a friend gets an assistant job but you know who is is like an assistant another assistant or something like that i think the best thing you can do is get to an assistant or an up and coming executive because people at the vp level or above They've got a million things going on, mm -hmm. you know. They they don't they're not a lack of great projects coming into their door. What you're looking for is someone who's looking to prove themselves, right? You know, I make it I make it a point whenever I meet anyone, if they're an intern or assistant or any anyone, period, point blank, I'm happy to read what they're what they're writing. I'm happy to grab coffee or drinks or lunch with them because hey, I like meeting people. And then B, you never know who's going to turn out to be a great friend, a great resource, a talented writer talented executive down the road, you know, right. there's no reason to close your door on anyone. Um, and, and in fact, it's great to be open. Right. No, absolutely. That's great. Um, and we were talking earlier, and this is just before we leave the topic of queries, other than just saying brevity, what would be mm. useful information that would be acceptable to put into a query? And what should people stay away from do not include in a query at all because obviously brevity is important you don't want to read a wall of text you see that and you hit delete because it's too much work to filter through but what would you consider useful information coming from the writer in a query i would say you have to think about this how is a representative going to sell you or to sell your screenplay i don't mean sell it like selling it like you know making a deal with a studio or something like that what i mean is how deal making occur or not deal making how how you know getting your script out there really occurs is I call up my friend and I say hey I've got this great writer or an amazing screenplay cool what's it about oh it's you know one or two sentences oh it's you know a romantic comedy set in the world of competitive speed skating or whatever and they're like oh okay and then you say yeah it sounds like Blades of Glory meets um. Oh my gosh! Uh, the Cutting Edge, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's not a real project. That's just something I made <laughs> up. But uh, obviously, and but um, although maybe it's a genius idea, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, but what you want to do is a one or two sentences. Here's what the basic gist of it is, and the second you know thing is like if you can if you, if you can comp it to a like I have a project right now that. I say it's kind of like a simple plan or shallow grave meets limitless. You know, you can compare uh, an archetypal film, hopefully both of them successful. Like you say, it's the Matrix meets like Wanted. Like, okay, what does that really mean? But it's great if you can find a way into an idea uh, that kind of feels like, let's say Lucy. Lucy is like limitless meets, I'm trying to think of a movie about someone who's kind of, I don't know, but like someone who's kind of under, uh, you know, 
so like in Lucy, she's a kind of a you know young club club girl who's kind of pulled in some guy her boyfriend. She ends up becoming the most powerful person in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something interesting to that contrast. You can find a way to do a contrast. That's always that's always interesting. What I what I also would say to be to be blunt, and I and this may be moving away from query letters mm-hmm. more into into the actual topic of what to write is. You know, I think coming at us, A, look at the company and be like, have they made movies that are similar to what I'm pitching them? You know, like if you're coming to like a, a place that primarily is comedies and you're pitching them a horror, is that realistic? Um, and the second thing I would say even beyond that is like, yeah, it's weird. You know, if you look in the blacklist, the majority of scripts that have been written are like westerns and romantic comedies, two genres that they don't really make that many of nowadays, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's not the only thing, but people, it does surprise me how many people are writing Westerns or writing romantic comedy or writing straight dramas when the reality is if you look at the movie industry, they just don't make that many of them. And look, if you're passionate about something, I think you should write it. I think you should also be very cognizant that you're writing something that is not in the marketplace that much. And so I think you have to be cognizant. Uh, that said, I would say on the flip side of that, I get a lot of curriculators that say this, which is like, really, you don't want to read. People think you do, but you really don't, <laughs> which is they, which is, this is a, you know, they'll tell you like, it's like, um, it's a, it's, it's a movie that takes place entirely in a bathtub or something like that. And then I'll be like, this movie can be made very cheaply for under a million dollars. That doesn't get anyone excited uh, <laughs> about making a movie. The idea that it can be done cheaply. That's not, it's, it's, it's not a really strong selling point because, People want to make a good movie. They don't want to necessarily make a movie that's cheap, right? You know, and feels obviously, oh wow, the entire movie is in a bathroom, right? You know, that's not exciting to people. Now, if it's a great script and if, like, there's a great script called Everly that was on the Black a couple of years ago and got made, the entire movie took place in an apartment, but it felt, you know, it felt true and, and correct, and there was a smartness to how it was done. A really, really great movie that came out a few years ago called The Disappearance of Alice Creed. And until I finished the movie, I didn't realize that the majority of it, kind of a la Reservoir Dogs, took place in one one space. I realized, like, wow, this whole thing, I didn't, it wasn't sold to me as that. Because the truth, if you sell someone the idea, like, oh, the entire movie took place in one apartment, it's not a very exciting thing. So telling someone, oh, this movie could be done cheaply, or this, like, making any kind of versions, this is a movie that will win Academy Awards, this is a movie that will, you, no one knows that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and besides the point, no one really cares. What's more important is, A, does this feel like the kind of movies that get made nowadays? And B, does it seem interesting? And actually, I would say B trumps A. You know, it's more like, I think, I always think Mason Novick, who, who I know a bit, um, if he'd gotten the call from Diablo Cody that she was writing Juno, a movie about a teenage girl trying to decide who to give her baby up to, a pregnant teenage girl trying to decide who to give her baby up to, I don't know that he would have told her, hey, keep writing that. That sounds like an amazing idea. Right. But she wrote it, and it was great. And it, even though it wasn't the kind of movie that got made, and certainly doesn't get made any nowadays, I think it still would have gotten made because it's a really great script. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it being most interesting is the most important point. Um, but, you know, I think you still have to be aware of the market. Right. And, and you should be aware of the market for your expectations. So don't write a movie that isn't, in the marketplace very often with the expectation it's going to make you a zillion dollars. You might write it and think, Hey, this will lead to other opportunities. And that's a smart way to handle it. 
you know, covertly, if you um, are writing a script that is smart for the marketplace, but you're writing it almost to the marketplace in the sense of like, hey, this is exactly like a zillion things that happened previously, and it could be made really cheaply, that doesn't get anyone excited. I know that sounds counterintuitive, the idea that I'm basically saying, hey, be aware of the marketplace, but don't write exact copies of it. But that's kind of the way the industry is. Nobody sets up to make a bad movie. Nobody wants to develop a ripoff of something else. What they will do is say, oh, this is like, I'm sure you've noticed in the last six months, a lot of sniper movies being set up or going forward. And it's like, oh, man, snipers are hot. Let's go make a sniper movie. But what it is, is these were good projects that existed previously. And they use that sniper aspect to kind of make people in the, in the marketplace feel comfortable about it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I would say. Does, I, I, I know that kind of went on long, but that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you had mentioned writing things that might get produced that are high concept or really smart mid to low budget genre material, but stuff that gets produced. But you would also mention yes. previously, there are all other kinds of material to write, including material that is, you mentioned, buzz bait. Can you describe a little bit yes. what you mean about that? Sure. I mean, what I would say is, you know, like I said, can I mention what you kind of alluding to is the idea of like, you either write this incredibly high concept stuff, which by the way, is pretty rare to occur. You know when it walks in the door and you spend most of your time waiting for those great ideas mm-hmm. to walk in there. I've got a couple of those that I've worked on. I would say Capsule, which we set up our box, is a great kind of sticky idea mm-hmm. in the idea of like, okay, I get it very easily. It connects to something universal enough. And it feels also like a movie. Um, but those are pretty rare. And in the time when they're obsessed with pre-existing IP, it's it's harder and harder to figure out what that great idea is um, that has been trumped by a YA novel or a comic book or something like that. Um, you know, genre stuff is, is smart and good, especially if you can find a really smart way into a kind of a classic concept. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. But in terms of buzz, they, very simply, I would put it this, is can you write a... Can you write a script that sounds, people are like, wow, that sounds crazy. I've got to read that. Or that sounds really interesting. I've got to read that. And if you look at the blacklist, it's, it's, it's mostly composed of, of two things nowadays. It's composed of things that sold for a lot of money, which means everyone in town read it as a result of that, and things that are essentially buzz baits, things that, you know, the Dr. Seuss biopic, you know, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and it's not a, a slam on any of that stuff. I think it's people saying, if you were reading all day long, you know, comic book hero-esque movies, for you to get to read something that feels different, especially if it's something that gives you a window into someone you previously knew, you thought you knew, guess what you didn't? Um, mm-hmm. So really smartly, Justin Kramer wrote the McCarthy biopic a few years ago, which McCarthy is a pretty much a pretty reviled guy, mm-hmm. but yet he was able to show some humanity to this guy that you never thought was quite there before. And that got people excited. about like, oh, okay, this guy... I think, you know, this guy's a, a talented writer. And so if you can subvert expectations, in, you know, either in a true story or in like a really kind of crazy concept, that's interesting. Basically what, what I'm saying with BuzzFeed is write the script that if you heard about it selling, that you'd be like, oh my God, I've got to read that. Right. That sounds fascinating. Um, or I'd love to know more about that. You know, if it's a true story, all the better. But, I, you know, really with this script, especially if you're trying to break in, like, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go to my buddy Will and be like, hey, man, you need to write this, because he's, he, he's already established. He doesn't need to write a screenplay that's never going to get produced. Mm-hmm. But if you're a writer who's looking to break in and make a name for yourself, you should assume the first thing you're going to write most likely is never going to get made. So why not write a really interesting out there screenplay that really shows off your talent? 
and shows off your ability because you're not worried about if it ever gets produced or not. You're still, or, or if you have the rights to it. You know, you can't write, you, you know, you're not going to, if you want to write the biopic of Mark Cuban, you probably don't have Mark Cuban's life rights. Right. But you could write it, and that might be really interesting to people to read. Right. Um, you know, and so I think that, or that, or, or an inc- incredible kind of like con- conceptual thing that for whatever reason would never get made, but is a really interesting concept. People saying, oh, wow, you've got to read this. It'll never get made, but it's pretty amazing to read, right. you know? Right. No, I mean, I think you hit it on the head when you said that these readers, whether it's executives, producers, agents, or assistants, or even readers, read so many scripts and they tend to, they fit into a specific niche that when you find something that's completely sort of unique in your own voice, they haven't seen before, while it may not be made, it may not get produced, it may not get bought, it will attract attention. And that's, uh, I think, a great way to look at it. And I know a number of writers, a lot of writers who have become super successful based on a screenplay that never got made into a film. That happens all the time. It's, 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 it's the normal thing. Yeah. I mean, the majority of screenplays don't get made. It's just simply a fact. Yeah. And if you're someone who doesn't have any connection, like, look, if someone sent me, <laughs> and I don't, I'm not saying anyone should go write this right now. <laughs> someone sent me Mark, someone sent me the Mark Cuban biopic, or that was like the law. Like, yeah, I've written a biopic of Mark Cuban. And I'd be like, that sounds interesting. I, I think Mark, I've read his books. I think he's an interesting person with an interesting story, especially if there's a very intriguing way into that idea, you know, mm-hmm. then like, you know, the Job's, Job's biopic or Steve Jobs, I would mispronounce his name. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's written is apparently like five or six scenes. That's it. And I'm like, that's a really interesting way to approach that, that, that character through like five or six or maybe I might be wrong, might be only four scenes in his life. You know, that's a right. really interesting way into something. And so someone who writes, I think it's interesting to be experimental and take a chance on your topic, but it has to be a topic that's interesting. Like don't write, you know, don't write, here's my grandfather's story. Unless your grandfather happens to be like, you know, Lou Zamperini from Unbroken or something like that, you know? (laughs) But if you, if you wrote, if you wrote a biopic with Van Morrison during the recording of Astral Weeks or Fleetwood Mac during the recording of Rumors or, you know, or George W. Bush, now that he's not the president, that's, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'd like that's that's a topic that I haven't read about. I, I be, it's why you see so many of these these movies or these scripts, you know, about usually artists or 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 very very people like kind of like the most interesting moment in their life when a decision was really put in front of them and they had to figure out what to do or not. Because that's an interesting topic. I think you know, there's no often I made this reputation on on a, a Jackie biopic that I have to confess I have not read all the way through, but I believe it focuses on the immediate aftermath of, uh, of her husband's assassination. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Spielberg was, was kicking the tires on and it got him a ton of meetings and it, you know, launched his career, you know, offering some, you know, really great scripts and some really great movies. And he didn't have the rights to Jackie. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he'd need them actually because she passed away at that point, but you know, it was just, it was different and people were excited to read it. Um, and, and I think you can never go wrong with that. Right. And, and talking about conceptual pieces that, are difficult sell but are very unique and interesting something that comes to mind is adaptation something you know charlie kaufman was hired to write mm-hmm. an adaptation of the orchid thief but instead of actually just doing a standard adaptation and writing the orchid thief into a movie he wrote a movie about him writing an adaptation of the orchid thief including all the elements of the orchid thief which is super super interesting but i think if it wasn't charlie kaufman it something like that wouldn't have gotten made, but it's super interesting. 
to do something that's unique. yeah it's a, it's a, that's a that's a high wire act i mean if yeah. and if a no-name screenwriter had written that i want i guess he wasn't no-name when he wrote charlie uh being john malkovich mm-hmm. you know, no exactly and a little bit but you know that was something that was just so outlandish and insane that you know people and like didn't get made for a while but people are like you gotta read this guy charlie Kaufman. right i'll tell you something that's pretty interesting um which i just i i picked up this book it's called the big it's called the big deal called Hollywood's Million Dollar Spec Script Market, which is kind of hilarious because, like, that does not exist anymore. So I was flipping through it, and I was, like, kind of amused by it. But one thing that I found that I thought was crazy, because I'd always assumed it was the other way around, was that Seven, Andrew Kevin Walker's script, which is one of the first screenplays I ever bought and read, read intimately, and it's a phenomenal screenplay, which seems like the poppiest, most high-concept idea ever, a serial killer is killing, killing people, you know, based on the Seven Sins, that script never sold for the longest time. Um, in fact, he, he sold Sleep Hollow and he got work since then, but Seven didn't sell for a very, very long time. But it was a great calling card that got him lots of other work. Mm-hmm. Um, another good example would be Prisoners, which you know was on the blacklist and Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to it and so on and so forth. And, but for two years, it didn't, didn't sell because mm-hmm. um, people didn't quite know how to make it, but it got the writer and he ended up writing... Um, I'm blanking on a bit of Mark Wahlberg movie in the meantime and tons of work because he's phenomenally talented. Um, but prisoners didn't sell for at least a year or two, right. you know? And so I, I think it's, it's smart to kind of attack, a, a, you know, a, attack something that's different and interesting. People will definitely want to read it. They may not pay you immediately to buy it, but it'd be a great calling card to be, have you read this guy? He wrote this really interesting script. Right. Absolutely. As an aspiring screenwriter, your goal should not be solely, you shouldn't focus most of your energy on how can I sell this script? You should focus your energy on Mm -hmm. writing great material. Because again, it may not sell, but it may lead to your first job. You know, it may sell, but again, it's much more likely to land you other work than selling Mm -hmm. and getting made. I would almost, if you almost assume you're not going to sell it, you're probably in a better place. No, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, that, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the, the thing is if you really, the most important thing to do as a writer is you need to get in the room. Yeah. So the way you need to get in the room is by being a great writer. You don't need to be going to a zillion networking events. You don't need to be doing a zillion coffees and lunches with people unless you already have a manager or an agent. And those are assignments. Unless you've got the goods to sell to people, mm-hmm. that's all ephemeral. It may make you feel like you're doing something, but you're just wasting your time because you don't have anything to really show them that's going to make, like the only question anybody ever really has for a writer when they meet them is what can I read? Right. And once they read it, if you're good, you know, what do you got next and how can we work together? Mm-hmm. Those are the only pertinent questions, to be honest with you. If you don't have that script, that's phenomenal. And I know sometimes people write that one screenplay, they get to a bunch of people and then pass, 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 which isn't to say the script is bad necessarily. But I think you can take you can take it and be like, okay, are people responding to this one? Are people excited to read it? And sometimes I think there's a mentality that like you've written a screenplay and you just got to get to a hundred people, and eventually you'll find that one person who says yes. But if like 99 other people are saying not just saying no, but are just not interested and not responding passionately, it's not a great sign. Maybe you should be spending your your time, you know, working that next one. And I, what I would also say is, you know, honestly, I think 50% of the work is figuring out the idea for the script. A lot of people will revise the idea over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've talked to writers who are just like, oh, I've got this idea. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's a movie. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to do a rewrite on it. And like, that's not going to make it into a movie. <laughs> you, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like you built a house, right? If you built a really awesome house, but it's in the middle of nowhere, 
it doesn't matter if you redo the kitchen. No one cares. Right. Um, it's you know all about location, location, location. Um, and that's kind of like with the screenplay. It's about concept. I've you know I've certainly seen um, scripts that didn't have great concepts. Sorry, sorry. Apologize. Uh, scripts that were not particularly great but had really amazing concepts sell for you know decent amounts of money. And I've seen really beautifully written screenplays that didn't have a deeply commercial or deeply or just even a deeply a movie concept. You know, not sell even despite being really beautifully written. Um, and the truth is, you know, half your work, and this is hard to hear, is coming up with that idea and really road testing it and making sure, is this interesting to people? Does this feel like a movie people would want to see? Because if you've already written a screenplay and it's not conceptually what people are, are getting excited about reading, mm-hmm. when you talk to other people, they're, not, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Uh, they're like, no, you just got to read it. You know, because what happens, like, if you read the screenplay and it's good, what you have to do then, if you were a company, you have to go and pitch your boss. And if you're bought, and you can't say like, can't tell you much. You just got to read the boss. You'd be like, yeah, I really don't like movies about werewolves or whatever it might be. You know, right? Um, they're they're gonna be like, they're gonna be like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. That sounds kind of interesting. I want to read it. Like the project we set up over at New Line is a project called Warden. It's got one of the best log lines I've ever worked on, which is essentially it's about a warden a warden at a maximum security prison who is blackmailed into breaking out of jail his highest profile inmate within 24 hours. Mm. And that's it. I mean, like, there's more to it, obviously. Sure. But it's a very easy idea that a warden has to break someone out of his own prison without anyone else knowing. Right. So there's a very clear conflict. You understand that. That sounds like a movie. There's two good roles for actors. It's relatively contained, you know. Um, and so that was a concept that from long run alone, I knew we had a pretty good shot at selling. And there's and, you know, sold in Newland, there's always been a lot of interest in it because it's a very easy concept to convey in 30 seconds in a TV spot. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking about a worldwide market that includes, you know, Asia and South America and, you know, you know, the Middle East and Africa and Europe and Russia and everywhere, you have to think not, you, you, it's hard to get into nuances. You know, if you look, if you're driving around and you see the poster for Fast and Furious 7 and it has cars being parachuted out of, out of a plane. <laughs> right. You pretty much know what that movie is about. Right. You know, it's not hard. Or San Andreas with the rock flying over, looking down over, 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 you know, a Los Angeles or San Francisco because it's been devastated by an earthquake. You know what that movie's about, mm-hmm. very simply. Right. And you have to be able to do that, even if your movie's not going to get produced, even if it's just a conceptual piece, you have to be like, here is, it's Jimi Hendrix, the last day of his life, or it's this or it's that, you know? And it needs to feel like a movie because if it doesn't, there's really no amount of polishing you can do to make it that. And so that's where I think people need to focus their energies on is like thinking before I build this house, am I building it in the right place? Is it a location that people will want to come to? Because mm-hmm. if it's not, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It really doesn't. Right. And I remember Arnold Copelson, famed producer, saying that he, when he hears a logline or you pitch him a story, if he can't see the trailer, it's not for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what it's about right away. No, it's, it's, he's not interested. And to go back to, our, to just go back to our point, because that's also, we're just talking about commercial films. We're not just talking about commercial films. No, no, no. Well, you know, we're, because we're talking about anything that might end up in the blacklist or whatever. Sure. You know, if you're doing a, you're doing a biopic with Calvin Hobbes, like Dan Dollar's, um, script about, uh, Bill Wanderson, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you've got to, even there's a very pivotal moment in his life. He's dealing with a conflict of people wanting to, to sell the rights to a comic that he doesn't want to do. So it's a very clear conflict. And so it's not just kind of, obviously can I say there, or can I see what this movie's about? 
because it's just right. kind of rambling and like shapeless or it's a road movie or this or that, then it, it doesn't feel like people don't know what they're going to read. It, it kind of sounds weird. I was talking to one of my clients is you think that people want surprises, but they actually don't want a surprise. When people come out of a movie saying, oh, that didn't feel, that was, that came out of nowhere. That's a surprise. What they want is a reveal. They want to feel like they know where they're going. Mm-hmm. And then you surprise, then you don't surprise them. You reveal something like, oh, that's why the sixth sense is such a great movie. It's because at the end, it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere. There were little hints dropped all the way through. I think that sounds like I'm just talking about a, a movie with a surprise ending, but people want to know where the movie is going. That's why when you go to see a movie and it's been advertised falsely, you kind of feel a little bit cheated in a way. Right. So you're like, well, I came here wanting this, but I ended up getting that. And even though you might like that movie, it still feels like, well, they sold me a false bill of goods. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I wanted to touch base quickly on one thing that you had mentioned, that the scripts that don't sell, that are really good, your calling card script that doesn't sell and get made, mm-hmm. you know, the people who write one script in hopes that they get it to the hundredth person that it will sell and they will, that that will be their break and it will get made and whatever. But what I have to say is if you focus all your energies on one script and it gets to a hundred people and it's great, it's, it's a great script. I'm not taking away from that, but of those 99 or hundred people, if nobody buys it, I can guarantee you if it's a great script, a lot of them are going to say, this is great. I can't sell it. I mean, I can't get this made. I, I'm not going to buy it, whatever. What else do you have? They will all ask you that. What yeah. else do you have? And if that's the only thing you have, then you are losing opportunities left and right. The truth is writers should be writing. Yeah. That's, that sounds very simplistic. But the truth is, if, if you have that script and if you took 100 people and like no one's really – what should happen on person number 10 or person number 15 is like, look, this is a really great script. What else do you have? I want to work with you on something next. Mm-hmm. You know? And if people aren't saying that, if no one's coming back really hardcore – then you've got a larger issue at play and you need to write a better screenplay. And it's, I just see a lot of people, you know, joining networking groups and sure. going to like tons of pitch fest and like you can meet your agent and manager. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, a, no one at those networking events for the most part is, is really anyone, you know, if you work at CAA or WME or APA or UTA, you're not going, you don't need, you don't need more screenplay. Right. You really don't. <laughs> right. Um, and so, it's just the last thing you need. And so they're going to find good stuff. And so I just feel like forget about that and just focus on writing and specifically put that time that you would put into networking and thinking about like, what am I writing? Am I writing something that other people and talk instead of like pitching them your script, you know, find people that you trust and be like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about writing. Does that sound interesting to you? Because once the screenplay is written, you're going to have to do the same thing, which is, hey, I've written a screenplay. Is it interesting to you? Mm-hmm. And you might as well pitch them before you write the screenplay because it takes about the same amount of effort. Then, and by the way, the pitch should not be like five minutes. It should be like 30 seconds. Right. You know? Right. No, absolutely. Um, the infamous elevator pitch. Yeah. We've covered a lot, and we could probably continue on and on and on, but uh, we're sort of running short on time. We'll have to have you back on to cover other uh, more ground because it's it's been great. But we're at a part where we like to find out what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Good question. Um, well, I just read a book uh, called Stephen so Publicly Shamed by John Ronson, okay. who's a really talented writer. He pursued the men who's the Men Who Stare at Goats, which got oh, adapted cool. into a movie. Uh-huh. As he wrote this book called Frank, which also got adapted into a movie. Oh. He's a really talented, interesting uh, guy. It's all about people who have posted up accidentally or kind of 
on purpose but not understand the implications, things on the internet that have been kind of publicly shamed as a result of this photo or this tweet or this. It's really interesting look at kind of like shaming, which is a concept that kind of went out of fashion in 100, 150 years ago and how it's come back with the internet oh. where people can kind of get people fired. So right. oh, I read that on the plane. That was, that was a pretty interesting book. I also was reading halfway through the oral history of the Simpsons, which is which is pretty interesting. In terms of finding how a, a great show like the Simpsons comes together in a way that, you know, there's, there's no, you know, Matt Groening did this and James L. Brooks did that and Sam Simon did that. And in terms of looking at the different uh, kind of people who had, who had role and, you know, who originally designed the character, you know, the character kind of models for, for the Simpsons. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I'm reading. Um, what I'm watching just finished Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be watching Game of Thrones. I mean, there's, there's no lack of amazing TV shows. Right. Um, I'm behind on, on Penny Dreadful mm-hmm. um, on uh, Showtime, which is a show I love. I'm very excited about Halt and Catch Fire coming back on AMC. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's a pretty, pretty phenomenal show that I think is deeply underrated. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what else? What am I? I'm not, at the moment, I'm not playing any video games because I have not upgraded my console to the Xbox One or the PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably won't do that until yeah, till, um, one of the awesome games come out this summer or fall. So I'm not really playing any games at the moment. Um, I'm not playing Candy Crush. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, there's like you know the games you play on your iPhone or whatever. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> as a general, general, uh, there's nothing I would point to that I'd be like, listeners, you better check this right, out. Right, right. At the moment, um, but um, but w- w- were there any other questions? Anything else and, on this? And listening, what are you listening to? Uh, the new Kendrick Lamar album's pretty pretty fantastic. The new Sufjan Stevens album is definitely amazing. Hmm. Yeah, this is a I just got a, a, a vinyl edition of this great Primal Scream album called Vanishing Point. It came out in like 1997. Oh. So uh, I, I have this bad, expensive habit of trying to get on vinyl records that I really liked when I was growing up in high school, right. um, which is an expensive, silly habit since they weren't actually originally mastered or mixed for vinyl. Right. But what can I say? It's a way of making my 17, 18 year old self very happy. <laughs> um, so that's, that's what I'm listening to. Cool. And uh, you've given a lot of great advice thus far. Do you have any final advice for uh, those aspiring screenwriters out there? Or is there anything else you'd like to share with them? Um, I would say read a lot. Read, uh, you know, read everything. Read books. Read newspapers. Um, look for read the New York Times or whatever newspaper of choice every single day and look for great ideas. Look for great ideas that are beyond you know, the obvious ones. Um, so I think being a well-read person, watch, I've had ideas come out of like random documentaries I, I've watched or even reviews of documentaries mm-hmm. on, on websites like the, like the Dissolve, um, which is a great kind of a uh, film uh, website. You know, just open yourself to all kinds of culture, watch great TV shows, not just the ones everyone else is watching, try to seek out Black Mirror or, yeah. you know, Peaky Blinders or, or, or shows like that that are a little bit less well-known than the main kind of huge HBO or network shows. Mm-hmm. Read, you know, read books, read screenplays, read a lot of screenplays, especially if you can find a great screenwriter who you are like, this is the person I want to learn from. You know, for me, the great screenwriters, I would, you know, Tony Gil, the, the current ones, Tony Gilroy, um, John Logan is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, William Goldman, um, David Kapp, uh, you know, I put in, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are people that I love to read, get very excited about reading. 
consistently. And so, you know, read, read screenwriting and, and, and because a lot of those scripts are available online and there's no reason not to, to read them and be aware of them, um, you know, and, and do that. And I think expose yourself to everything and, and, but also be, you know, it's like that line in, in almost saying, be honest and unmerciful. When you're looking at your work, the marketplace is going to be far rougher than any of your friends or any, any critic or professor that you might ever imagine. So you need to really look at it and be bulletproof because the moment if there's any weakness in your concept or, or, or the way you're approaching your script, the marketplace is going to, as a whole, look at it and kind of be like, oh, you know what, this is too similar to another movie or the characters feel derivative or it's too long or, or whatever that might be. And they're going to, they're going to be really, oh, there's just, oh, this concept isn't a movie and it's going to just, they're going to make that decision. So be harder on yourself and your writing um, than almost anybody is. There's kind of two kinds of screenwriters, I always say. There's screenwriters who are happy before the producers are, which is when they kind of call up and they say, oh, yeah, this is good enough, which is the words you last want to hear as a producer or as an executive or a collaborator in general. Mm-hmm. And then there's writers who are, are never happy, even when you're like, oh, this is good, this is fun, we're, we're a good place. And they're like, you know what, I was reading it back last night, and I think we can do better. And those are the kind of people that I think are going to have long careers because that's who people want to work with is someone who takes their writing seriously, who takes their craft seriously, and always keeps pushing to to put the best material out there as possible. Right. Absolutely. And I've, I think I've mentioned this before, and I don't remember who said it. I really should look it up. But it's a quote, and it's that, what is a writer? A writer is someone who for whom writing is more difficult. Meaning you, th- yes. you think writing comes easier to writing writers, but it's actually harder because they agonize over it and they want it to be perfect as opposed to just Yes, exactly. I mean, a perfectionist is a, is a good client to have. Right. You know, it can be somewhat exhausting, but I'd rather have that than someone who's like, oh, this is good. Let's get it out there. Let's get in the market. Let's go, let's go, 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 go. Right. Um, because I can assure you, and we're, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not rereading drafts and giving notes for our own benefits. When people <laughs> give notes, they're not doing it. Because they they're like, wow, man, I got to give some notes, you know. Right. I mean, what they're what they're looking to do is to make it as good as possible. Look, when you get to a studio level, maybe there are notes that you may not agree with, and but they paid you at that point, so you know that's what the job is. Right. But uh, you know, when when your managers and your agents and your friends are giving you notes, it's important you don't have to take them all, but you should certainly listen to them because nobody gives notes for fun. People give notes because there's a reason. And they want they want they want to help you. They want the script to be in the best shape possible. And whether or not you agree with those notes or not, there's always some validity. There's always a validity to an opinion. Right. Um, and you want to figure out where that's coming from. Right. Well, there is certain aspects of personality, meaning uh, people giving notes because they want to have their imprint on it. Uh, I think a majority mm. of producers, agents, managers would love nothing more than to get a script, a draft of a script, and going, you know what, this is awesome this is perfect i wouldn't change anything i mean how awesome would that be to get a script that you just think free. Is... I, I i'm excited for the day when that occurs. right exactly um well thanks for coming on the show john I, I really appreciate it of course thank you for having me i really appreciate that yeah and check out john's production company bellevue uh productions it's at bellevue b-e-l-l-e-v-u-e prods.com and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scripts and scribes or send us a tweet to at scripts scribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scripts scribes. Thanks for listening.